Welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss, and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on all the socials. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook, and we're at ATO Podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Firstly, we'd like to apologise for our gap between our last episode and our current episode. We have so much to discuss with you within this episode. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you to Jake for his contribution with the Belgian preview. Obviously, I wasn't able to make it, so he did it solo, and I think he did an absolutely fantastic job, as to some of you agreed. I know. Keep massaging that Uh, ego. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously much has changed within the world of Formula 1 and we cannot wait to discuss that all with you in this episode and also we've just been so busy with real life so um, apologies you know we do this in our spare time around working full time jobs and it's kind of got when it's get to a triple header I think we had a triple header what like earlier on in the season and I don't know how we pulled that off but we did and we did an episode every week but um, we do our really uh, you know our ultimate best to try and get an episode out every week so um, thank you for bearing with us and uh, as Chris said we're going to go through it all in in this episode and we're going to take a look at not one not two but three race weekends of course in our episode today looking back at what's happened in the news uh, and and silly season which kind of all kicked off in the gap that we were away as well which is just so much has happened that we've got to catch up on so uh, first First of all, let's take you back three weeks ago and pick up where we left off with the Belgian Grand Prix. So the Belgian Grand Prix, Jake, what can we discuss um, about it that's longer than the race itself? (laughs) Um, It was the shortest ever Formula One race ever recorded, lasting a whole three minutes and 27 seconds, which is already shorter than our podcast (laughs) so far. Uh, it was a wet weekend all around, um, obviously qualifying in absolutely torrential conditions. Lando obviously hitting the wall in Q3 after looking like he could potentially get pole position. He was on fire all weekend, um, but obviously ended up in the barrier up, Radion, um, to which the first person to go see if he was all right was race marshal, firefighter. <laughs> Insert uh, here. Green... Uh, yeah, every kind of job you could give an F1 driver on the track. Um, Sebastian Vettel, um, you know, the race director himself, <laughs> uh, told everybody it should have been red flags. Um, no one listened, and you know that is what you get, according to Seb. Mm. Um, but Max ended up getting uh, pole position after pipping George Russell. <laughs> yeah, what to pole? <laughs> George Russell in a Williams in wet conditions, got a front row start. That was, you know, heroics from the driver who'd only just taken his first points in Formula 1 the race before in Hungary. Uh, And then Lewis Hamilton ended up qualifying in P3 with Ricardo, getting a solid result in his McLaren in P4 on the Saturday. Race day, though, very, very different, apart from the weather conditions. (laughs) Uh, We started usual time, uh, getting around to the grid, we had a casualty already with Sergio Perez hitting yeah, it into the it. wall, and looking like he was out of the Grand Prix, only for the Grand Prix to not start for another five hours. 
and um yeah red bull managed to get the car back managed to fix it so he was able to restart from the pit lane um but yeah honestly it was it was worse in canada 2011 at least we had a race with that a lot lots of people have been saying with michael massey who's the race director for formula one where you know they they tried everything they could to get the race going they even broke the like regulation that says the race has got to be held within a certain time frame i think they even bent the rules with that it's got to be held within three hours just to try and get a race going but i mean you know we can't control the weather and if you're up against the elements then there's not a lot you can do so do you feel like the criticism that michael massey got was a bit unfair because people were saying you know this race shouldn't have gone ahead blah 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 we shouldn't have tried to race it but at the same time, that's his job, isn't it? To try and get a race going. It is, it's, it's almost damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, priority yeah. for all is going to be safety, especially with after what happened in 2014 um, in, in mm. Suzuka. You know, we, we don't have, want to have any further accidents that happened in Grand Prix like that. Um, and obviously, it was only just a couple of years ago in a dry race where we had the uh, unfortunate incident in the F2 race. Um, so I think, mm. you know, a lot of accidents have been on people's minds. Obviously, we had the accident on Saturday with Lando, which was a big, big shunt going yeah. up over. I was watching that. I was watching that live, and I, I don't know, like the camera. I think they, Martin, they Martin Brundle was... No, yeah, but, Martin Brundle was commentating, and he, and he was kind of like, oh, has the car gone into the wall? And, and he was right. And, like, it just the helicopter was following Lando around, and it just, yeah, you could tell he'd gone straight in, and he saw the yeah. impact, him spinning around. And it, it looked worse. Than, well, it was still really bad, but it looked worse than it was because yeah. he was spinning loads, but actually kind of helped him take him away from sort of a just a direct impact. The worst impacts are, like, the ones where you just sort of, you're going really fast and yeah. you stop straight there and then and don't have any sort of time for the momentum to you know wane off so yeah it was horrible that crash yeah so i think on that sort of side of things i can understand their hesitation but i mean if you look back you know 20 odd years ago that race would have been done there would have been battles there would they, they wouldn't oh, have yeah. been any sort of questions of it not starting even if they like just followed the safety car for a few laps Mm. Until like you know the track started to sort of you know get rid of some of the standing water, I mean because mm. they never really did that, it never really gave the chance, and obviously more rain was coming down throughout the afternoon. Um, so it it was very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of uh, experience. I think yeah. in the future, F one are going to need to provide almost back in the nineties the monsoon weather tires where. They have tyres that can do even more than what the current extreme wets do. Because, yeah. you know, I know people very much, oh, climate change isn't really happening. and But, you know, we're seeing all over the world that we're having different weather cycles. I mean, we've just had mm. What, a, mm. a Category 4 hurricane over America, you know, mm. 20 odd years, 15 years since Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, they're having to prepare, they had to prepare for that. Yeah. Know, we've had scorching summers and then we're having dry you know winters where we're not having any sort of snow and like we're getting snow in spring you know we're having adverse weather conditions in the uk i mean mm -hmm. currently right now it's probably the nicest sort of temperature we've had in a while obviously all week it's been almost like a heat wave yeah um, but you know we're seeing like you know in eastern europe we're having fires because they're just not getting any kind of rainfall where it's droughts so yeah, yeah. 
all over the weather, the world. The weather is definitely changing. It is, and you know, we, we, F1, I think, in the future, needs to prepare better for it. You know, it mm. could be that at some Grand Prix, like you know, we're, we're obviously changing from Sochi to Saint Petersburg for twenty twenty three, but we could have snow on an F one track for all we know. We've had it in testing, <laughs> which we've before. never seen. We've I don't think testing. we've ever seen. We have had it in testing. Have we was that in no, was, was that in the UK? No, it was Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, wow. But you know, we, we we could have these sort of random events happen where F one need to prepare for it because I mean. Belgian fans, they're not getting their money back because the race officially. I was going to say, do you do you do you think the fans should get their money back after all of what happened? And Lewis I mean, Hamilton it, came it, out in the media yeah, and said, I, I, you "I'd know, be pretty fuming. Like you've been sitting there all day, absolutely drenched, yeah, to watch three minutes twenty seven seconds of your life <laughs> flash over by the course of five hours. It, mm. it was a, for F one. That was pretty pitiful. I ain't gonna lie. I think a lot of fans." Yeah. We're quite up in arms about it and not very happy with how it took place. Yeah, imagine if you've travelled all the way from, say, the UK as well to Belgium or you know all over, you know, and spent their money on, you know, well at this stage extra costs on COVID tests and uh, camping and the tickets and the transport, everything. So not just the the, the ticket price, obviously, um, but at the same time, you know, as much as we're saying that. The you know the circuit promoters that that run the race, they've kind of you know they've got a, they can't just leave one sort of massive event out of their schedule because it probably really sort of hits them hits them hard. But I know it's it's a bit of a catch twenty two again where the customers also don't get the money and um, they tried the best to put a race on. So yeah. I think it's just a really really odd moment. <laughs> and like- to make it. Just, just, just to round up the whole weekend and how bizarre it was, Nikita Mazepin got the fastest lap of the race. <laughs> yeah, obviously, race results was basically look at qualifying um, minus Perez. And, yes. Um, and yeah, and like I say, Nikita Mazepin got the fastest lap. His first one of his career. I think that's the first Haas fastest lap since Kevin Magnussen in twenty eighteen Singapore. Haas uh, have had a fastest lap before. Yeah, uh, Kevin Magnussen, Singapore. Well, I and never. I think and I think that genuinely is the fastest ever lap in a race at Singapore as well. I think that is the actual <laughs> fastest lap. Um, what was he on? Super soft tires. Probably ultra softs back in the day. Yeah, I can't remember, but um, oh, yeah, incredible. So yeah, and then of course the race result of Belgium was then taken. Uh, well, they did they did the minimum laps, the two laps that was required to call it a, in inverted commas, race, uh, which then awards half points. So George Russell, who could have ended up with 18 points if it had been a full official race, uh, got nine points, which is still a great haul for the Williams team, no matter what. So um, Belgium was kind of one to forget, really, wasn't it? Not really the event we really lived up to. No. So um, one, one, one not for the history books of this season, I guess, but I, maybe I for hope, the for the right reasons. With George Russell's amazing mega lap, that was just incredible. I hope that F one do something where they reward. I know that they're going to give some sort of gift package to all the fans, but mm. I feel like if they can give them some tickets for like I don't know Abu Dhabi or something, where they get to actually see a Grand Prix, that'll yeah. be I think a, a nice gesture from from. Or next year's um, Grand Prix in Belgium if yeah. they can't get that far. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, that that was um, 
To be fair, that was still probably more of an exciting race than the next race we're going to discuss, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Short and sweet. That's, that's how we'll sum up the, uh, well, short and unsweetened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, if you're a Dutch fan and if you're a Max Verstappen fan, probably the best Grand Prix <laughs> you've ever watched in your life. Uh, very dominant weekend from Max. Um, drove his you know, heart out on the track and was you know, very, very uh, well-deserved, you know. Um, second driver this season to win their home Grand Prix after Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone. Um, also retakes the lead in the championship after picking up two race wins in a row. Uh, Lewis behind Max by three points after picking up the fastest lap in Zandvoort. But Mercedes still lead the Drivers' Con- uh, Constructors' Championship uh, due to both of their drivers getting on the podium. Um a difficult weekend though however for McLaren obviously Lando in Belgium having that crash didn't get any points McLaren obviously got fourth place with Ricardo uh, where he qualified mm. but then in the race for Zandvoort they just seemed to lack a little bit of pace and I think they managed to get both cars in the points but only just yeah it's, well it was an incredible it's, it's, it's an incredibly technical circuit and I think the McLaren is the kind of car which it, for, for whatever reason is one of those cars that is not good at all all round the circuits, and I know that Red Bull and Mercedes have their circuits as well. But like, there's I feel like there's a base level that they kind of sort of sort of adhere to. But with the McLaren, I feel like it's either right up there in strong performance, or it's just not there at all. So I think the margin between performances is quite big at, at the, depending on what circuits it is. And um, yeah, Norris, you know, has been, you can't fault Norris for having a bad weekend every now and then because he had 15 consecutive races finishing in the points. So uh, um, he's, he's he's not done too bad, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, and then we had Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen announcing his retirement from F1 prior to Zanvoort to then only test positive for COVID within 48 hours of that announcement with uh, Robert Kubica legend cult legend of formula one replacing him uh also for this this weekend's italian grand prix which we'll come on to in a second but um yeah for kimmy to announce his retirement as we say we've been there's been so much going on since we did the last podcast um i mean just a just a thought on kimmy's career chris i mean it's been quite quite amazing and he's done it his way and only his way yeah i mean kimmy i think is going to be very much a legend of formula one and it's sad that you know obviously if people haven't started watching F1 and do within the next five years, that they will never see Kimi mm. Raikkonen race an F1 car. He, he, you know, doesn't say a lot, but he says enough. <laughs> um, yep. He, his witty comments on the radio are something to behold and will live in the memory of <laughs> F1 fans from here till the end of time. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, he he was unfortunate that he was racing in a time where Michael Schumacher's Ferrari and Fernando Alonso's Renault were mm. at the top of their game. Kimi, you know, was arguably at his best in 2003, 4 and 5 and mm. was unfortunate to never win a championship in any of them years. And, you know, he did finally win that championship in 07, albeit by one point, but that's all you need to win it by. Yeah. But, I don't know, I feel like he he's one of them drivers, a bit like Fernando as well, where he should have won more championships than he actually has. Kind of like the nearly maybe scenario. 
nearly maybe but at least one one mm. yeah and well and and shows a talent and and do you think once he went to lotus do you think that was kind of like him saying you know i've had my time at the top of the sport and i've won i've won a title i've tried to win more than one title and and now i'm just going to help sort of develop teams I don't know. I feel like he came back into the sport to win races. He did that. He won mm. uh, within his first season returning, albeit the last race of the season, but he won, you know, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in a Lotus. First time that they've won a race probably since the 80s. Um, and then obviously, start of 2013, he, he picked up where he left off and won in Australia. He won in Australia. So he, he didn't come back just to help develop. He came back because he still had that burning fire. And to be fair, he probably still has it, but I feel like he he's leaving on his own terms now. Where I feel like maybe he got pushed out of Ferrari under Luca de Montezemolo, um, a bit like how Schumacher was. He I feel like he wasn't ready to retire in 06. Um But you know, when big teams say we don't want you anymore, you, you kind of have to you know look elsewhere and you know. Kimi then went and did rally, uh, where he won a few stages, but never did anything major within there. Obviously, then went to NASCAR for a couple of seasons and did a few races there before returning. Forget about that. Yeah, NASCAR. Um, but yeah, uh, he ca- he came back to win races, and you know, final ever race he won the twenty eighteen United States Grand Prix. You know, it was, it was nice to see him finally win that last race for Ferrari. It was sort of. I feel it was that sort of moment where F1 sort of F1 fans realised Kimi's time is nearly up, and we we relished the fact we got to see him win one more race. It it was probably one of the best races to watch for that reason. It wasn't a thrilling battle here, battle there. I mean, we had the battle in the last lap between Max and Kimi, um, but for the fact that Kimi won the race in a Ferrari. Like that that was definitely a feel good factor for that year. Just my um, my my favourite moments of recent times is when he's been at Alfa Romeo, and he's done the uh, the adverts uh, for like the sponsors, and he will literally just be reading a script word for word in his uh, I'm not bothered monotone voice and trying to seem slightly enthusiastic, and the sponsors just must think. Oh, well, whatever, I give up. We're not even going to try and ask him to do that again because it won't happen again. <laughs> what you've got is what you've got. Um, I've enjoyed seeing them. Take, take one and take ten will be the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So with um, less smile every time. Yeah, I have to do this again. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just been incredible. Um, off the off the track and on the track, he's just been well, the perfect driver for Formula One in the entertainment value in a, in a lot of senses as well. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we won't forget him. Um, very quickly anytime soon and I think Alfa Romeo are even hinting at a possible sort of advisory role similar to how Jensen Button has at uh, Williams at the moment um, in the future so we could see Kimi Raikkonen still around the paddock advising I'd love I guess. to see Kimi I don't know how he'd advise in, in, in two words Be a... I'd love to see Kimi commentating that's not going to happen is it it's not gonna happen. It's just but It's just gonna oh be the most. Oh my god! I would pay unin- good money. It's just gonna to be the most uninformative commentary ever that you would ever heard, and there won't be anything said. <laughs> if he's like the, you know, the psychic. If he's, if he's like the, the James Hunt, alongside. Could you imagine though, like Kimmy commentating at Monaco? 
He's gone into turn one. He's <laughs> gone up the hill. He's gone around the corner. He's gone down the hill. He's gone around the corner. He's gone around the corner. Oh no, corner. he crashes. He's gone into the tunnel. <laughs> oh, he's lost his wheel. <laughs> oh dear. Oh well. That would be the greatest commentary ever. Like, <laughs> someone's got to make I'd, it happen. I'd actually pay so. Yeah. Mu- I'd pay so much money to. Someone's got to make that happen one day. But I'd, I think it would be for like a one-off occasion on a on like a you know a feature film first part of a weekend rather than a, a legit if they ever commentary. Get a finished Grand Prix. If they ever get a finished Grand Prix, <laughs> yeah, can we to commentate? Let's do it. Um, but I'd love to see that happen. All right. Um, we digressed a little bit, but uh, coming on to we finally caught up with this weekend now. Goodness me. So we've had. The Belgian Grand Prix, which we had half-point results for, and Verstappen claimed a so-called victory there, and George Russell in Williams' best ever finish, but kind of not really because it was half-points. Moving on to the Dutch Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen claimed a dominant victory, kept the gap on this to Lewis, and uh, Mercedes had no answer. To now where we are on the Italian Grand Prix, and we're recording this at the time just after practice two, and we're at another sprint event weekend, which... Kind of changes up the calendar a little bit, doesn't it, Chris? And um, takes us back to Silverstone a couple of months ago. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited about it. Like for Silverstone, it was the first time we've ever had a sprint qualifying. I was a bit unsure about it. It worked well. Um, mm. I feel like there was a few issues where potentially they could sort it out. Um, but on the whole, it gave the weekend a bit more excitement. Um, the fans certainly enjoyed it. I I, I enjoyed it. That's for sure. Um, I think. This Grand Prix is very much a different track. It offers different challenges. I mean, we saw in qualifying mm. on Friday, um, some drivers are very much out of position. Um, and then we've got, obviously, other drivers that, you know, they've got some work to do. But not only that, for Bottas, this this is very mm. much, you know, if, if you're playing the team game, let Lewis go ahead, hold up Max, because Sunday you're at the back of the grid. Yeah, it could be it could be like a Schumacher Barrichello at Austria moment all over again, and I don't know that was met with quite bad reception when that happened uh, in the early two thousand. Um, does this does this have a different feeling? Is it because we know Bottas is leaving next season and he wants to try and get the best result for Mercedes? And um, of course, Red Bull will be sour about it. But I guess if Max and Perez are in the same position, then they would do exactly the same thing. Do you think it has a different feeling to the Ferrari days that I mentioned? I think it is. I think Mercedes still allow their drivers to fight. Um, I think a little less now because Bottas isn't in the championship fight, whereas Lewis very much is. And same with Max and Perez. You know, Perez will do what he can to help Max win the title. Bottas, as well, knows that he's not racing next year for Mercedes. Um, that obviously got announced this week. Uh, but, you know, he's still got a contract for this year to help the team. He'll get bonuses if the team win the constructors. You know, so... <laughs> it's all about the money. <laughs> well, as Lewis Hamilton said, I think it was, what, Monaco? Money talks. <laughs> it's um, very, very true. And that's, and that, that, that's seemed- no secret in Formula 1 either. No, not at all. We know too well about all of that and along the grid and how money has helped teams progress and certain drivers have got their seats because of it. But the, yeah, the the thing about Bottas going to Alfa next season, it just seems like the massive just pressure or expectation weight has just been lifted off, you know, his shoulders. There's that, you know, when we're, when we're uncertain of things in life, we can't think straight. And now that he's got, he's certain of where, you know, the, fu- the future is and 
he knows where he's going to be racing next season. It seems like it's kind of just giving him a new lease of energy, really. I feel like we saw that in Zandvoort a little towards the end of the race when they mm. pitted Bottas. Yeah. Told him not to go for fastest lap. Still went for it anyway for Lewis to then <laughs> Abort still it. obliterate that fastest lap. <laughs> um, but we saw sort of, I don't know, would you call it a bit of cheekiness from Valtteri? Oh, it, 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 yes, definitely. You know, Without a doubt. It's from that sort of, I think from that moment was when everybody, in, I mean, most people in F1 knew what was going to happen anyway after mm. George's interview in Spa. But I feel like that was the sort of nail in the coffin that was like, right, this is going to happen. We know what's going to happen. We're just yeah. waiting for the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, now that's out of the way, I think Valtteri will be racing for himself. But I feel like if he's he, if he knows Lewis is right behind him, I think mm. he will potentially still give up because he doesn't need to fight Lewis anymore. He knows he, his future battles aren't going to be with Lewis. Mm. Yeah. So why hinder somebody or your teammate who you get on with a chance to win a world championship just so you can score a couple of extra points and not win a world championship we were talking about Norris and how he's, he's struggling for pace and McLaren at the Dutch Grand Prix uh, but they seem to have called that back um, this weekend within milliseconds of Max, Max Verstappen in a kind of lacklustre Red Bull in P3 but Norris and Ricardo in P4 and P5 uh, looking to bounce back but yeah, Max Verstappen, I mean, we know that Monza's not really notoriously a Red Bull track in the Mercedes era with the power unit that Mercedes have. But do you think they'll be a little bit disappointed that they were, I mean, I think the gap was like four tenths or something. That's quite a big gap. Yeah, it's, it's a big gap. Um, obviously, if you look at it, Bottas does have a new engine in the car. So mm, yeah. in terms of that, you know, you can understand the gap. But Hamilton doesn't have a new engine in the car and Hamilton was only a few hundredths off Valtteri. So yeah. the toe obviously did gain a huge amount of time. Um, it's worth like seven well. temps around Monza, I've been yeah. told. And and we saw obviously when, when it happened on the first run in Q3, you know, Gasly was up there and he was towing mm. both of the Red Bulls and that helped Perez get up there because Perez has been, you know, quite a few temps off Max this weekend as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, so... I think Red Bull are going to hope that their race pace is better than their like one lap pace. But I think this weekend is very much a damage, uh, damage limitation weekend for Red Bull. Um, yeah. But and that's why I say I think that that lap Max did in in the Friday qualifying was very much a miracle lap. But mm. he just now needs to maintain this pace throughout the race. I mean, Red Bull notorious for getting great starts. Mm. Um, so he just needs to try and sort of get ahead of Lewis and then hold Lewis up. But again, Valtteri can then do the same with uh, Max and then obviously allow Lewis to get past and breeze past. But do we think, on the street. you know, if 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 this this season's race is anything like last season's, then uh, we're in for a treat, right? <laughs> I mean, last season's was a kerfuffle and a half. Um, I don't think we're going to have as many mistakes. Um, last last year was very much a Mercedes error. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we never know. I mean, we saw issues again this year at Hungary when Ocon and Vettel were leading mm. the entire race. So who's to say, you know, I said at the beginning of the season, we'll, we'll have some un, you know unexpected podiums. Yeah. I mean, we got that this year. We've had unexpected winners in Ocon. We've mm -hmm. got unexpected podiums with George Russell. Um, yep. Still waiting for that Alfa Romeo podium. I, I nearly called it. <laughs> <laughs> um 
And to be fair, Alpha do look relatively strong. Giovinazzi, you know, yeah. doing some miracle work, you know, P7. last week in Zambort and, uh, and then doing really well again this weekend. Mm. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Um, We're in for a, a very exciting Italian Grand Prix. Well, of course, and the sprint race as well to take place. Um, it will be very, very exciting. We'll come on to our predictions in just a moment for the Italian Grand Prix. But as you know, there's a lot of news to catch up with. So let's get into it. Well, essentially, the news in this episode consists of the driver market and all of the moves that have happened since we did our last episode. It all sort of kicked off post-Sandvort um, and lots of driver moves were being announced. Kind of some that we already knew, had an inkling about, but now have been confirmed and announced, released, and the hype on social media is through the roof through all these announcements. So we have George Russell taking the second seat alongside Lewis Hamilton for 2022 at Mercedes, which we kind of already knew anyway, but uh, you know, me and Chris, me and Chris, you know, we've we've both been predicting it most of the season, haven't we? But how how does it feel it's that it's finally? Yeah, how does it feel? How does it feel for you that it's finally confirmed in black and white? Um, I feel it's going to be a new challenge for Lewis. Um, it's going to be very somewhat similar to how Lewis was when he first started in F one. Obviously, mm. he's going to be up. He was up against Fernando. Uh, two-time world champion at yeah. the time, literally back-to-back champion. Um, but George Russell, I mean, he's outperforming a car that should be, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th on the grid. Yeah. And he's finishing second in Spa. You know, he's doing miracle stuff with that car. Very much uh, deserves, you know, he's been so close so many times to get or, or in, in the points in that Williams. Mm. He, he deserves this call-up by far. He's been, you know, outperforming you know, everybody in a car that shouldn't be where it is. And in in turn, I mean, we saw at Imola this year, up until the point where him and Bottas collided and we had the Renault Clio uh, Cup comment from Toto <laughs> Wolf. Um, he was outshining Bottas yeah. that weekend. On merit and as well. To be fair, I, I feel like all season, Russell has been the name generated more than Valtteri Bottas. Bottas yes. has had a, a a fairly poor season for a, a car that's mm. not the quickest, but you know a, a championship winning car. Um, he's been fairly average, if that. Yeah. Do you think? You know, and the results have showed. Do you think going? You know, everyone thinks back to the Bahrain race with with Russell, and, and we can't. You know, we can't hide from the fact that was a great performance. But it's only one race and you're jumping in and, you know, you've got all the adrenaline of coming into the top team, the opportunity, everything like that. You're going to do well. Well, you know, there was a chance that you weren't going to do well, but you more than likely was going to do well. But my point is that we've seen him perform well on the one occasion, but he's got to be consistent and right at the top level every single weekend. And that's the only thing we haven't seen him do yet, obviously, in a, in a top team. But, you know, we've, we've, I mean, seen, we've seen flashes of it at Williams. But do you think he can, he'll be, you know, be able to settle in fairly quickly like he did at Bahrain and carry that I mean, momentum looking at Bahrain, through. it's the only time he's ever been out-qualified by a teammate. Mm. We're going to expect that to happen a lot more um, with Lewis Hamilton being his teammate. But Bottas, he was in his own car, his seat was fitted, he had everything adjusted to him to be perfect. Mm. George Russell was in a car where 
he's a lot taller than Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, in that sort of size of things, it was an uncomfortable experience for him. Mm. He still only finished, you know, I think it was, what, a tenth, less than a tenth behind Bottas in qualifying? Yeah. And then in the race, he was very much the quicker of the two. It was only for the fact that he had a puncture, Mercedes had a really, really poor It's a tumultuous time. um, Which, you know, killed his race. He still got points. Yeah. But, you know, he did some fantastic overtakes on Valtteri Bottas in that race. You know, around the outside in the chicane, coming in down towards the far straight, you know, it's some some of the moves you would not expect no. from someone that's you know not been in that sort of position before. So I feel like it would take him a few races potentially to get towards Lewis's speed. Mm. I don't think it would be the same sort of adjustment as what Daniel Ricciardo's had this year. I feel like because he's you know he's the test driver he's you know he, he knows how the car works he's probably done simulator work he's definitely going to over the over the winter break mm. um so in that sort of side of things he he won't be rusty he'll he'll be at some sort of speed consistency he is fairly consistent i mean qualified he's you know i think he's only been knocked out in q1 maybe once this season yeah uh so qualifying wise he's where mercedes need him to be yeah race wise you know, again, he's outperforming a car on a Saturday. Yeah. In in, in a Sunday race where the car, you know, fingers crossed, should be at the front of the grid for George, you know, he could have the consistency. You know, he might even be faster than Lewis Hamilton. We well, don't know I was, that until I was, next year. I was going to say this, right? Ha- Hamilton was fairly close to winning the championship in 2007. You know, very close in his first season for McLaren same amount of points as Fernando Alonso only well, one point behind Kimi Raikkonen. exactly so I know this is sounds like ludicrous to say but can you see George Russell winning the championship in his first title given where all the teams kind of are in performance I know the regulations are completely hit reset but sort of take it now as any, you would anything anything could happen like who who's to say otherwise I mean I remember Frank Williams back in 2013 said Valtteri Bottas will be a world champion one day. Mm. He's been in a car and unfortunately for Valtteri, Lewis Hamilton has been in the same car with him. I was going to say, yeah, he's um, just come up against the greatest driver of all time, unfortunately for him. It, it's just unfortunate, you know, it's the same, you know, Kimi when he, he was facing Schumacher and Alonso, he just great drivers at the same time. Mm. I feel with George, Lewis is coming to the end of, the, of his career. Mm. Um, he, he won't be in F1 with like in five years time no I'm fairly certain of that George is very much still at the beginning of his career he's, he's going to be in his fourth he's very young year. yeah well he's, he's our age yeah <laughs> exactly and um, yeah I he George you know he's going to be battling with Leclerc Verstappen Norris there's going to be a lot of you know talent that you wouldn't normally get a lot of generational talent. Oh, it's going to be a really exciting time, I think. The next three it's or going four to be seasons. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, and with the whole, you know, F1 basically resetting itself for next season, everybody basically starting a scratch mm. with these new regulations. It's anybody's game, you know, and I think that's going to be very exciting. And you know, if George comes out on top, it will be purely on merit. Yeah, and as we've and as we've said. Um, 
previously before, we could have a brawn kind of moment. So it literally could be anyone's for the taking. You just you just never know. So um, but that's that's enough on Russell. I mean, we love him here on the podcast, but we you know, we we need to be fair and unbiased and give everyone the fair coverage that they deserve. Well, we love every driver, yes. but we're so particularly we'll, we'll, being we'll British. Do that and we'll, we'll do that and we'll move on to a British driver who races under the tyre flag. Yes. Alex Elborn. Mm. He's coming back to Formula One, uh, racing with Williams. Uh, obviously, going to be replacing the outgoing George Russell. And Albon's going to be partnered up with his old teammate in F2, Nicholas Latifi. Uh, obviously, it's great to see Alex Albon back. Uh, obviously, doing some DTM this year in the Alpha Tori. Is it DTM? It is, DTM. yeah. DTM in the GT3 cars. Yeah. yeah. So he's been doing a bit of... Uh, glorified banger racing uh, <laughs> has got to win this season at the Nürburgring um, so yeah it'll be good to see him back in an F1 car he's only had a season out you know we've seen drivers have a season out come back Esteban Ocon won a race this year mm. he had a season or two out maybe had two out for it was only a season uh, and yeah maybe it's what he needs to reset himself after you know he, he was very good at Alpha Tauri back in the day was yeah. uh, Toro Rosso but you know, moving to the big team, it was it just seemed to think a bit too big of a step for well, him. It's that cursed, so early on in his career. It's that cursed second Red Bull seat, and um, exactly. Verstappen, Verstappen has come out actually this week following the announcement of Albon going to Williams. He says, you know, um, he knows that there's a lot of pressure at Red Bull against against you know the first driver and in, in that seat, and he thinks that Albon will flourish with sort of less pressure on him. And, and as we say, Williams on the up, carrying the momentum through. You never know where they could be next season, so. Um, I think they're quite the a nice position for Williams are going to be a front-running team and Mercedes aren't. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances? Russell would well, be very like high. kicking him, kicking himself. <laughs> um, and then sticking on with AlphaTauri, they uh, they've also announced their full driver lineup. They're remaining with Gasly, and um, to surprise to quite a lot of people, they're sticking with Yuki Tsunoda as well. Well, yes, it's a lot of surprise because. Well, he has actually said um, at the press conferences this weekend um, that he was surprised himself <laughs> that he was being kept in the seat. And I feel like Sonoda's like the new Kimmy of the paddock and is, is very much a um, what you see is what you get kind of attitude. And he's just so like blunt in press conferences. So I'm, I'm totally here for it. Um, he said like he's surprised he's still here because of all the crashes he's made. <laughs> But um, you know he's had one season as a rookie, and if you if you remember back, I know it's only testing, but if you remember back to testing earlier this season, he was on the pace with Verstappen, like with the Red Bull, and he's in the Alpha Tauri, and and everyone, but you know people weren't holding back. Yes, they might have been on their programs and doing all the tests and stuff, but you know Sonoda's a great driver, very 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 fast, very quick in F two before he made the jump up. So you know maybe it's just first season nerves and. And trying to, you know, take it all in and get in under his stride. It's, it's a lot to take on board, really. And um, I'm trying to remember when Nakajima probably came into the sport and um, was driving for like Williams and, and other teams around the paddock. And Nakajima didn't have crazy results to start with. So it took a li- little while. And then with Williams, um, he did eventually get some good results. So I just think it's a matter of time for Snowder. Bit of a slow burner, but I think um, he'll come good eventually. I don't know if that's your thoughts. Yeah, I think Yuki's got a lot of promise. I mean, Helmut Marco was the one that picked him out last season in F2. Think he finished third in the championship and promoted him up to the uh, Alpha Tauri team. 
So they've obviously seen that he's got a lot of potential and a lot of people are saying that he's just a younger Max Verstappen. I mean, that that's a compliment and a half, but also something that's going to have a lot of pressure on him. Um, you know, this season very much, to be fair, very much how Max was in his first couple of seasons. Very um, trying a bit hard and a bit reckless at times. Um, and obviously we've seen in the last couple of seasons, Max has been one of the more mature and you know, more consistent racers, you know, and, and getting into less scraps than what he would have done, you know, back in the days of his Alpha Tauri career or Toroso at the time. So I think again it's it's the first season um he's been in. It's a very different car to what he has been driving. A very different power, different, you know everything. It's it's a Formula One car. You know, it's it's gonna be like something he's never driven before. And obviously a lot of the tracks he's driving at now He's never been at before, you know. He's, he he was the only driver to have never been at Zandvoort. All the other drivers have, whether it's been Formula Masters or F three or GP three or anything like that. They've been in, yeah, they've been in lower series, even even karting. Uh, they they've been at Zandvoort um, to to do a race, and Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen have all won there before as well. Um, so. You know, this season is very much a, a a steep learning curve for Yuki, but I feel like you know now he knows that he's got another season to try and show what he's got. It will, it will potentially take the pressure off him for this year. He knows he doesn't have to try it as hard. He still needs to get the results, you know. And Gasly's doing an absolutely phenomenal job in the car as well. Um, but you know, hopefully the fact that he's got the contract signed, he's done. It will take the pressure off. He can sort of enjoy, you know, where he's at. Obviously, he didn't have the greatest of qualifiers yesterday in the pre-sprint race, but he's got the sprint race to make up for that. Yeah, and he, what helps as well is that he's much loved in the paddock, you know, which which goes all the way with a lot of things. Um, I know it's not all about that, and it's and it's you know it's talent on the track, but it does help him and helps the brand and, and the image of of himself as a driver, and of course then the team. So, you know, valuable asset. I think for the team going forward in in all aspects, and then yeah, Gasly obviously retained the seat. I think he'll next season if he doesn't sort of see any kind of it's a progression. It's a bit of a weird way to put it. I don't know. He's not going to go back to Red Bull very quickly because he know he feel like he has expectation from last time. So where would he go like if he didn't if go he, to Red Bull? I feel like if he doesn't, I feel like if he doesn't get a contract for the main Red Bull team next year mm. I, I can see him doing what Carlos Sainz did and get out of the Red Bull programme yeah um, where would you see Gasly going though right now so that's 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 the difficult one yeah I mean Ferrari have got obviously their drivers you know with Alfa Romeo and uh, and the Haas team so that, that rules them out potentially and Gasly wouldn't I mean, want to go to Albon. Gasly wouldn't want to go to Haas would he nah I mean, we've seen obviously Albon go into Williams, um, which is traditionally a Mercedes uh, feeder team. Um, but obviously, they've they've managed to get their driver in a Williams in it with the with the Mercedes engine. Uh, I mean, Alpine, you know, they've got Guan Yu Zhou, um, who is who is tipped. I've I've heard to potentially get the the last Alfa Romeo seat. Yeah. Um, but again, you know. Alpine's potential offer, uh, but again they've got Alonso and Ocon there at the minute. I think Ocon signed a three-year deal, so 
I think Alonso, he he needs to potentially either sign a deal for next year, for, for if he wants to remain in F one, or you know that could potentially be an option for. Yeah, of course, it makes it makes sense. We got of course Ocon, we're the French manufacturer, French driver, French engine. Same for Gasly, so that would make sense, I guess, in looking into the future. Um, but then again, the other thing is a bit like when he won uh, the GP2 title, he could potentially look away from Formula One and mm. go into like World Endurance or something, mm. or Formula E. You know, the, the series that is notorious for taking F1 drivers that don't have seats. Yeah, <laughs> but, savage but true. You know, <laughs> but you know, potentially, if Pierre can't get a top seat, which at the minute he's showing that he deserves. Yeah. Um, it might be that we do lose Pierre Gasly to to a different series. Well, yeah, he, you, he, he, not if he does see this or look at it like this, but he could be looking at Russell and thinking, well, he's gone from like the arguably one of the slowest teams on the grid to the top team on the grid, and I'm just here constantly putting in the performances at the best of the rest on, on quite the occasion, up with Norris and Signs and Leclerc, and not getting any reward out of it so it must be frustrating for him and considering some of the uh, emotional journey and ride he's been on in the last few years you know losing his friend Antoine uh, Hubert in that tragic accident um, and people just you know not really realising kind of like you know we're humans at the end of the day we all kind of are affected by other things rather than just what happens on the track so I feel like there's a little bit of a, m- a massive roller coaster for him but um, you know he, he's coming good and, and winning in Monza like this time last year, it's just well pays dividends to kind of the effort he's putting in and, and he definitely deserves a seat um, going forward and a strong performance uh, next season and we'll just want to be I guess showing what he can do in the Alpha Tower and, and we know that if it gets to next season at the beginning we never know what could happen he could move to Red Bull midway through the season we've seen a mid-season switch um, happen. I doubt that it will happen with Max and Perez, but you never know. It could happen with a mid-season switch to another team. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's finish. We were talking about Alpha. Let's finish on Alpha and and talking about Bottas. Of course, we said, of course, Russell is replacing Bottas at Mercedes and Bottas has signed a multi-year deal at Alfa Romeo to sort of take that team forward and try and develop the team. How do you see his relationship with Alfa Romeo, Chris, and and going forward, and of, of course it's a it's a Finn replacing a Finn, so I don't know if there's any slight consistency going on there. Um, I can see it working quite well. Um, Bottas is a race winner. Um, obviously the same reason why they got Kimi Raikkonen back in the seat. Mm. Um, his experience as well. He's been at a top team, so he knows what to look for and how to progress the team. Um, and obviously whoever takes the second seat, he'll be sort of a mentor for them. I mean, like I said a minute ago, Guan Yu Zhou, uh, the Alpine Academy driver, looks set to potentially get that seat. Mm. Um, obviously doing a stellar job in F2, uh, along with Oscar Piastri, who's leading the championship there. Um, there are other names but, floating around, though, that we kind of also have a slight outside chance. We've got... Um, I mean, I mean Giovinazzi bot- potentially could still get the seat. Yeah, Giovinazzi um, staying there. Very well. Giovinazzi rumoured to also be going, may possibly to do some... Uh, LMP1 uh, hypercars at Le Mans and World Endurance Championship as well. We've also got Nick De Vries, who's of course the Formula E champion currently with Mercedes, and maybe looking to have a bit of a 
well, Mercedes stronghold of, of, of time gone by with Bottas and Nick De Vries there. But that would be very strange because, of course, Alfa Romeo is a Ferrari-based team. So not to have yeah. any Ferrari drivers I mean, at the Alfa Romeo would be kind of odd. I mean, Haas are expected to keep Mazepin and Schumacher. I mean, Gunter Steiner did an interview yesterday where he doesn't expect anything to change. Obviously, they've still got to put uh, pen to paper, mm. but that's, that's their expected line-up. Um, but, you know, we've got people like Callum Mylot, who was looking to get a seat last year. Yeah. You know, hasn't got a seat. Potentially, he could be he, he could be there to take the seat. He was very much rumoured to get the uh, Alfa Romeo seat last year, but Kimi uh, stayed. So, you know, it, it's going to throw up a few names um, for for drivers to to get that. Mm. Ilot is obviously part of the Ferrari programme as well, which will keep in tone with what we were saying with Alfa Romeo being very much a Ferrari customer team almost. Mm. Um, going back to Nick De Vries, I think he was quite gutted that he never got the Williams call for the fact that, you know, Albon did, but Mercedes, uh, he, he's a Mercedes eSport, uh, e, Formula E driver. So, you know, I think in terms of that, it was um, a bit gutted for Nick De Vries, but it looks like he's going to be set for another year in Formula E, defending his world championship there. I guess what swayed it for Williams as well was that Albon has raced in F1 already and and I know there's this thing around, well, how can I get experience if I don't get a chance? But uh, Alex Albon has raced with Red Bull and and AlphaTauri Tour or so in the past uh, and this has that sort of, you know, front-running experience. So that was probably more invaluable to Williams as a team than sadly it was for Nick De Vries. But I think Nick De Vries... He's in with a great shout of that Alfa Romeo seat. And as I say, if Bottas is already there, it'd be great to have them two alongside. But as I've also said, it'd be very strange to not have a Ferrari driver in that seat without some kind of agreement with Ferrari or, you know, moving around. And it's the same thing with Albon. Like when that happened, him going off to Williams when he was still a Red Bull driver, they've had to release him from that. But the arrangement is that they're still going to keep an eye on him. So... It's all very weird, technically, in kind of the the strongholds of the grid, where you literally had Ferrari stronghold, Rebel stronghold, Mercedes strongholds, have all kind of been mixed and muddled a bit. It's very interesting the driver market right now. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Um, so, if right now you had to pick a driver to take in that last seat, Alfa Romeo, who's you who's your money on? <laughs> God. Um. I mean, if Antonio Giovinazzi keeps up his performances, then why should he go anywhere, if I'm honest with you? Um, he's had some solid performances, and Raikkonen possibly has outshone him a little bit, sadly, um, as we've gone throughout the season. I feel like this season, though, he's been very much but as we've said, outshining Raikkonen. Yeah, I mean, in previous seasons, though, um, if you're looking at... But yeah, if you're looking at this season and um, this weekend, that's certainly... Put himself up there, you know, a, a P7 call in qualifying for the for the sprint race, and any anything could happen. They've seemed like they've got really good pace around around Monza, um, but of course, I I feel like the influence and the buzz is more of a thing with Nick De Vries than you know he's maybe on track talent in F1 and, and Nick De Vries as well. I don't I don't believe he's tested too much on in an F1 car before on the F1 grid, whereas if you look at other drivers. Like Piastri, I think he has right, and Guan Yu Zhou has tested a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's a real tough one. 
I don't know. I, I, I would, I would, if I had to pick someone, I would say Giovinazzi's going to stay. Just for the consistency, then with the I team. I feel like we'd all love F1 Jesus, especially to play, going. But I feel like Juan Yuzo was, is gonna. I feel like he's gonna take it. I can't see it, especially going to the new regulations. I think I'm sort of making my mind up as I think about this. I think going into the next next year's regulations for 2022, they'll want some consistency see, I think to that's carry why over. Go with Juan Yuzo so the fact that this season they've got the 18-inch tires on the F2 cars, he'll know how. They operate. That's very true. More than what Giovinazzi yeah. did. Great point. Yeah, didn't think of that. Look at you. Such a nerd, aren't you? So, I'll take my glasses <laughs> off. I'll be less nerdy. <laughs> um, well, that interesting moves in the driving market, and that's pretty much dominated our our whole new section, as you can understand this week on the podcast. But just a couple other things, uh, or one more thing actually. The Michael Schumacher sort of biopic documentary is coming out on Netflix in a few days' time and really look forward to seeing that and rounding off an incredible career and summarising all of that and the journey a little bit behind the scenes. And um, I think there's going to be some comment and appearance from his family about Michael's sort of state now after that horrible accident he had when he was skiing a few a few years ago now um, and kind of where where he is in his life but i think they're going to be sort of subtle comments it's more the fact of you know focusing on his incredible career and the legacies left on the sport but very much looking forward to watching that so that's pretty much all the news for this week you haven't mentioned one more what have i not mentioned you haven't mentioned that they're not replacing japan and the calendar's reduced to a 22 race season Oh God, have we not mentioned? I, I might have mentioned that in oh, the previous episode. You might have. No, I didn't but mention I, it. I think it was after Spa that they announced it. Well, there we go. That's a sad, the yeah. sad state of affairs because Suzuka is a great track, but um, you know we're not going to be able to race there with all the restrictions going on at the moment, which is fair enough. Um, and it's quite amazing we've still got a twenty-two race calendar. Yeah. I mean, if you they've ask still me. got one. Well, they still got Turkey potentially that might not happen if it's still around yeah. this country. Uh, they're looking at. Um, the track in Doha, uh, La Salle, uh, where most of the go for uh, for the replacement of Australia. Uh, yeah. So we still got a few few more different tracks that could potentially uh, grip our screens by the end of the season. Um, but as you're going uh, talking about Schumacher, um, his wife uh, did release a little statement this year, um, mm. or this week even, not just this year, um, sort of letting him letting letting everyone know that you know how things are going. Um, Obviously, you can check online for for the exact uh, comments that were made, um, but they seem to be quite positive about, you know, the release of the documentary and the timing of it as well. All right. Um, after a quite lengthy news section, as I'm sure you can understand, let's move on to rounding up now with our predictions for this weekend's Italian Grand Prix and the sprint race. <laughs> All right, Chris, hit us with those predictions. What are we going to be seeing happening this weekend uh, in the Grand Prix and the sprint race? Sprint is going to be Hamilton Bottas for Stappen. Oh, God, you don't hang about, do you? Nope. Straight in there. And what what kind of convinces you with that? And why not Bottas in front of Hamilton? Bottas seems to be kind of a rekindled phoenix this weekend. I think he's going to play the team game. Hamilton needs the points and because he's mm. there with a fresh engine he's going to try and take as many points away from Max Verstappen if Bottas does carry this momentum throughout the rest of the season and it's going to be a case of Hamilton 
behind all the time. I think, I think poss- if, if that's the case, I think Red Bull need to be careful. Yeah. Because the constructors wise, that's going to be great for Mercedes to have Bottas mm. up there. But it's, it's also going to mean it's going to take points away from Verstappen potentially. Yeah. Well, what I was going to come on to say is that would it taint Lewis's eighth world title if he does claim it? Will it be a bit of a sour victory, you know, because every time Hamilton's been racing for it, no? No, I mean, people were saying about last season, oh, it shouldn't count as a championship, it was only 17 races. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah, back in the day, yeah. I mean, 1950, there was only six races. Are you going to suddenly say that ain't a world championship? No, I mean, no. But I guess it's just the manner in, in the way it happened, right. isn't it? The way it's earned. I mean, Schumacher in 94, when him and Damon Hill collided, are you going to yeah. taint the fact he won a world championship because they collided? No. No. Things happen. You know, racing happens. You know. Hamilton, Fair enough. At the end of the day, he's still got to complete 22 races with the most amount of points. Yeah. You know? So what one race or a few races where Bottas is going to be beating him doesn't mean that it should be a worse championship. I mean, we saw 2016... Hamilton won the most races that season. He won eleven. Yeah, but, but I mean, Ro- Rosberg in... still outscored him in in the points. Does that mean that Rosberg didn't deserve the championship? No, but I, I mean, is it more fortunate? I mean, is in more of the team orders? Well, Do you think then then that that kind of rules out Schumacher again from from two thousand two thousand and four? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it, it's one of them things, you know. We've seen yeah. the Red Bull with, you know, the whole multi twenty one gate with uh, mm. with Weber and Vettel. Vettel was very much a number one driver. Yeah, you know, does that mean that Vettel's championships are not representative because there was team orders? <laughs> it, it's, no, it's, I guess it's part of the game is racing. Yeah, yes, that conversation could go on for a long time, so I'll, I will concede. Um, very much on the same note and page, I think, for my predictions for the sprint race at Monza this weekend, I'm going to say Hambot Ver, uh, which has become a very common combination of recent times um, do you not feel well, I said Verstappen just because I said Verstappen do you not feel Norris and McLaren are going to be up there because they look very strong over practice they're very close but I don't think I just don't I, I just think Verstappen has that natural edge um, when it really counts and that you know as we were saying that showed in in qualifying with that mega lap for P3 um, right, right moving so on to Jake, the Grand Prix this Grand is Prix, you can go first this time oh I mean, of course, whoever finishes the sprint race where they do, it will be the Grand Prix result. However, I think over a longer distance, it's going to be Hamilton and Bottas. You think, seeing as Bottas is certain at the back of the grid? Yeah, no, I do. I feel like they've got the pace. Which may sound crazy, but I, I, I honestly do. I don't think it'd be Hamilton and Bottas and Norris. Hamilton. And... Yeah, Hambot Law. Um, and that's because I think McLaren over a longer distance will be able to capitalise more on their pace advantage rather than the shorter distance that we've got in the sprint race, obviously. Um, are your thoughts different then because of Bottas starting at the back of the grid? I mean, very. I, I feel Bottas will go through the grid, mm. but he won't do it as quickly as what Lewis Hamilton did at Silverstone, for instance. Oh, okay. Um, you don't think he has the same the, kind of ability? Mercedes struggle overtaking cars. That's true. Unless in the dirty air. I mean, we saw Hamilton struggle to pass Alonso. You know, Monza isn't really a place for overtaking unless you've got DRS. Mm. You know, so even if 
Bottas is following a car with DRS, he's going to struggle to get past it. Okay, so who do you, who do you? So, so I assume Hamilton first. Um, if Mercedes don't screw him up like last year, <laughs> Hamilton to win. Yeah. I'd really love to see an all-British podium, but I don't see Russell doing that this year. <laughs> uh, don't think that's going to happen. Not maybe next year. Maybe I'm going to go Norris second. Oh, okay. And Verstappen third. Verstappen third. Wow. Interesting. I feel like Lando, like you say, over race pace. I feel like McLaren should be there. They're yeah. very consistent. They're very quick. Um, I just feel Max knows what he needs to do for the sprint. Um, and Who could you see? Again, who could you see challenging Verstappen for that third place? I think it's going to be very close if, for your going, prediction. I feel both McLarens. Yeah. Very, I feel Ricardo's going to be there. But there is also rumours potentially that Verstappen might take an engine penalty for the Grand Prix as well, but do it mm. after the sprint. Yeah. Um, and again, they might do the same with Lewis. They might end up giving him a new engine yeah. as well. There, there's very strong shouts that both of them are going to need a fourth engine for this season. So we could see Norris winning the race. I mean, God. Anything's possible. We could see an Alfa Romeo yeah. get on the podium. Not, not at this race. But. <laughs> Robert Kubica back where he belongs. Oh, I mean, he was in the top 10 in, in practice too. He was. But um, no, I don't, I don't see Kubica doing that. <laughs> I think he's what, starting 18th. He's something, something like yeah, that. So I don't, I don't um, see him doing that blessing. Although this is the track he got his first ever podium. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, most fond memories. All right, well, those are our predictions for this weekend. I think they're sensible and slightly crazy in places, but I think overall we're going to see an exciting race with the sprint race as well. And I think those two races are going to, well, the two sprint races have in previous times slightly contrast each other the last one we had ended after with the grand prix after the sprint race at silverstone we had ended very dramatically with verstappen so oh, we, he'll be looking fireworks. to yeah very much fireworks so i'm very much looking forward to the exciting times that this sprint race and the grand prix are going to bring uh at monza this weekend on another classic circuit they love these sprint races on classic circuits um and i think it's going to be a real thrilling one uh, right. Well, we're back on Around the Outside and we're going to do our very best to keep up the momentum uh, until next week. It's been Jake and Chris here on Around the Outside. We'll see you very, very soon. Take care.